Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons where we're going to be exploring some stories from the life of the prophet Elijah. And there's a reason for that. As Elijah comes onto the scene, the nation of Israel is just coming out of their golden era where King David and King Solomon ruled. But as Elijah's time on the scene begins, things have taken a turn and things have become more tumultuous. You know, and that's kind of like what we've been experiencing so far in 2020. As this new year began, we were living in a time of prosperity. Our economy was booming. The stock market was hitting record highs. Unemployment was nearing record lows. But as the coronavirus began to spread, everything started to change. So we're going to explore some of the stories from Elijah's life to see how the people of Israel endured this change in fortune. And we're going to learn how we as people of faith can endure the change in fortune that we're experiencing as well. So let's get right into this episode sermon. The music was blasting, the champagne was flowing, and men and women everywhere were doing something called the Lindy Hop. The stock market was soaring, the nation was prospering, and a guy named Hoover, he was promising a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. It was truly a golden age in American history, one of the best times that our nation had ever known. But our nation was about to learn that the best times don't last forever. At around 8 o'clock in the evening on October 29, 1929, this golden era would come to an end. Over the course of the previous two days of trading, the Dow Jones industrial market had lost over $30 billion. That would be the equivalent of the stock market losing $450 trillion today. So just like that, the stock market crashed. And when the stock market crashed, the blasting music stopped playing, the champagne stopped flowing, and nobody wanted to dance. The golden era was over. Black Tuesday had come, and the Great Depression, it was just getting started. In the coming months and years, paychecks began shrinking, and the unemployment rate started skyrocketing, and the lives of an untold number of people were changed forever. Now, I know that this is kind of a depressing way to start out a sermon, I mean, we went from the heights of the Roaring Twenty down into the depths of the Great Depression in less than 250 words. But there is a reason why I started this sermon this way. I wanted to start this sermon this way because of what we've all been living through over the last five months. And what we've been living through over the last five months doesn't really sound that different than the first 250 words of this morning's sermon. As our calendars turned at the beginning of this year, it felt like we were on the verge of entering into the Roaring Twenties all over again. Our economy, it was booming, and unemployment was reaching record lows, and the stock market was hitting record highs. And sure, we didn't have a politician out there promising us a chicken in every pot, but we were all looking forward to a prosperous future together. But almost as quickly as the stock market crashed in 1929, the coronavirus began to spread across the world. Almost overnight, millions of people lost their jobs, and the Dow Jones, it plunged again. And we were all asked to stay safe at home. 
There have been plenty of times over the last five months where it's felt like we have been living through unprecedented times. Like no one has ever experienced anything quite as bad or quite as difficult as what we're facing today. So I wanted to start out today by talking about the Roaring Twenties and the Great Depression to remind you that even though we are living through a novel virus unlike anything that the world has seen before, we're not the first people who've experienced a sudden change in fortune. And we're not the first people to learn that the best times don't last forever. The truth is that over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring the story of someone in the Bible who can kind of relate to what we've been going through over the last few months. And I want to explore some of these stories from this character's life so that we can all learn a thing or two about how we can face sudden changes in our lives today. But before we get to this character's story, I want to tell you the story of someone else. Someone who lived through the heights of the Roaring Twenties, as well as the depths of the Great Depression. And I want to tell you his story, because I think we can learn something from his life, too. This character's name was Jim Braddock. Now, Jim was a rough-and-tumble kid who grew up in Hell's Kitchen in New York in the early 1900s. As a boy, Jim's big dream was to grow up and play football for Newt Rockne at Notre Dame. But he quickly learned that he was way more brawn than he was brains, so Jim realized that he had virtually no chance of going off to college. But Jim found a way that he could put his brawn to work for him anyway. During the heights of the Roaring Twenty, Jim began his career as a professional boxer. And you know what? He was actually pretty good at it. Jim won 44 out of his first 48 fights, and in 1928, he pulled off an upset over another fighter named Tuffy Griffiths that earned him a shot at the light heavyweight championship the very next year. So Jim Braddock, he was a star on the rise. But in 1929, Jim's career would crash right along with the stock market. It started with his championship fight against a guy named Tommy Loughran. The fight went 15 rounds, and all those rounds took a toll on Jim. He broke his hand in several places, and he, and he ended up losing the fight in a narrow split decision. With a broken hand and a bruised ego, Jim's career took a turn for the worse. During his next 33 fights, Jim only won 11 of them. And since he could no longer provide for his family as a boxer, he had to find another way to make ends meet. And since Jim was still a guy with way more brawn than with brains, the only work that he could find was as a day laborer down on the docks. But with the economic downturn of the Great Depression and that nagging hand injury from his championship fight, Jim struggled to keep up with the other workers, and he often found himself going without work for days on end. His lowest point probably came when he had to swallow his pride and accept government assistance just to help his family survive. I mean, the truth is that standing in a welfare line would have been humiliating for a guy like Jim. He had always been able to find a way to take care of his family on his own, without the help of anyone else. But whether he liked it or not, Jim needed the help. He had a wife and three kids at home, and they weren't even scraping by. Their bills were piling up so high that debt collectors were calling every single day. And all Jim could really do 
was to try to hang on throughout the roller coaster ride that his life had turned into and hope, hope that he somehow survived. Now, if Jim's story sounds a little familiar to you, it's probably because his story was the basis for a movie that was released back in 2005 called Cinderella Man that starred Russell Crowe as Jim Braddock. And there's one poignant scene in this film that sums up just how tough things had become for Jim and his family. Now, before this scene begins, Jim has agreed to return to the ring for one more fight, just to make a couple of extra bucks to help his family along the way. Well, he wakes up on the morning of this fight, and he's sitting at his kitchen table, talking with his wife when their daughter, a little girl named Rosie, wakes up and she joins them at the table. Rosie's hungry, and she's ready for breakfast the instant that she sits down. But there's not much breakfast to go around. Her mother even had to water down the little bit of milk that was still left in the bottle just to make sure that each one of her kids could have a little bit of it. Now, as soon as Rosie's plate is set down in front of her, she scarfs down the little bit of sausage that was on it. And then she looks up at her mom and asks for more but there isn't any more that her mom can give her. The last little bits of sausage they have left are waiting for her brothers when they wake up. But that doesn't stop Jim Braddock from stepping in. He has a little sausage left on his plate, and even though he is preparing for a fight later on that day, and even though he had gone to bed without any dinner the night before, Jim concocts a little story to tell Rosie. Here's what he tells her. You know, I dreamed last night that I was having dinner at the Ritz with Mickey Rooney and George Rafter, and I had a steak, a thick, juicy steak, like this, Rosie. And then I had a mountain of mashed potatoes, and I went back for ice cream three times. So I'm stuffed. I'm absolutely full. I cannot eat another thing. Want to give me a hand? As he slides his plate across the table to his daughter... It's almost impossible to believe the scene that just played out in the movie. For most of us, this situation is so far removed from our reality, even in the midst of a pandemic, that it feels like the story just has to be made up. The truth is that most of us are far more likely to have to throw away food that's expired in our refrigerator than we are to struggle to put food on our tables. But that wasn't the case for Jim Braddock and his family. And it's also not the case for everyone today. We know that more than 36 million Americans lost their jobs due to COVID-19. And we are also aware, through our relationship with the Cabbage Patch here at Melbourne Heights, that more people than ever have had to turn to food pantries over the course of the last five months just to keep food on their tables. So scenes like this one from Cinderella Man, they play out every single day. And they have for a long, long time. We're even going to see a similar scene play out in our Bible reading for today. But before we get into, into today's reading, let me set the scene for you just a little bit. Now this story is going to take place around 870 BC, just a short time after a man named Ahab became the king of Israel. Now, during Ahab's reign, things aren't going too great for the people of Israel. But the people of Israel, they also aren't very far removed from their golden era. So as Ahab's reign began, grandparents in Israel would have been telling their grandkids stories about how great things had been under King David and under King Solomon. 
But there was a reason why things were great under David and Solomon. And it's because David and Solomon both followed God. But Ahab didn't. So God sends a prophet, a man named Elijah, to try to straighten King Ahab out. And that's largely what prophets do in the Bible. The prophets are like a warning alarm for ancient Israel. So if the people start relying on themselves too much and they start turning their backs on God, a prophet would warn them to change their course before things got too far along. And that's exactly what Elijah does. He warns Ahab that if Ahab doesn't change course, that bad things are going to happen. But Ahab just doesn't listen. So rather than enjoying the prosperity that their nation had experienced under King David and King Solomon, the people of Israel are going to start to suffer. Specifically, they're going to suffer from a severe drought. And this drought becomes so severe that people in the surrounding areas even start to run out of food. And that's where our story is going to pick up today. So let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll start reading together in verse 8. Here's what it says. The Lord's word came to Elijah. Get up and go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. Elijah left and he went to Zarephath. As he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her. Please get a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. She went to get some water. He then said to her, Please get me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any food, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and my son. We'll eat the last of the food and then die. Now, I'll admit to you that when I read this story, I usually feel like this widow is being a little overdramatic. And there's a reason for that. And that reason is that I have never known anyone that was on the verge of starving before. So it's hard for me to believe that something like that is even possible. But when I take a minute and I look at the facts... I realize that my rose-colored glasses keep me from seeing something that is all too real in our world today. Here's the reality. Last night alone, 18 million children in this country went to bed hungry. And I know that 18 million is a huge number that's too hard for any of us to grasp. So let me try to put it in perspective for you. 18 million people is enough people to fill the KFC Yum Center here in Louisville over 800 times. And since that's probably still too big of a number for us to really grasp, the statistics tell us that one out of every five kids in America lives in a household that struggles to put food on the table. But that's just the information about hunger. So what about starvation? Well, UNICEF reports that over 3 million children die across the world every year because of a lack of food. Over 3 million kids. That's roughly the population of Connecticut starving to death every single year. So whether we want to accept it or not, the words of this widow, they're not some melodramatic attempt to convince a stranger to take pity on her. They are the honest cry of desperation from a woman who has almost literally nothing left. Her food's about to run out. Her days are numbered. Her hope is gone. Although most of us can't put ourselves into this widow's exact situation, 
we all know what it's like to feel hopeless. Many of us feel hopeless every day when our governor reports the latest coronavirus statistics for our state. Every day we see the number of cases and the number of deaths continue to rise. And we feel like there's nothing that we can do to stop it. In a couple of days, school's going to start back up here in Jefferson County. But school's going to be online only at the start of this year. And we don't have a lot of hope that that's going to change anytime soon. So we feel hopeless. We feel hopeless when we're slipping on our face masks before we walk into a grocery store because we're forced to trust a little piece of fabric to protect us from a deadly virus. And we feel hopeless when we're driving past a restaurant and we see that the whole patio section there is jam-packed with people without any social distancing happening at all. So how do we keep going? How do we keep moving forward even when things feel so hopeless? Well, in the depths of her despair, the widow in our story is about to learn a lesson that we all need to cling to in our darkest moments as well. So let's listen to the rest of her story. We'll pick back up in verse 13. Here's what it says. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little loaf of bread for me first. Then bring it to me. You can make yourself something for yourself and your son after that. This is what Israel's God, the Lord, says. The jar of flour won't decrease, and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. So the widow, Elijah, and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. As we hear the end of this story, we're told about a miracle of biblical proportions, literally. This widow, this woman and her son are down to only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a bottle. And this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil, they seem like nothing to us. The widow says it herself in this story. There was only enough to feed her and her son one last bit of bread before they would die of starvation. And when we read this story, we become a little bit obsessed with the little bit that this woman has left. But God knows that the little that she has is enough to see her through. Because God knows what is really important in this story isn't that this widow only has a little flour and a little oil. God knows that what matters is that she has a little faith. God knows that what matters is that she has a little faith. And this widow has just enough faith to do what Elijah asks her to do. So she takes that little bit of oil and that little bit of flour that she has left, and she makes Elijah a little loaf of bread first. And then, when she reaches into that jar for flour and when she pours that bottle of oil, she finds that not only is there enough to make herself and her son some more bread of their own, there's enough to make them more bread for tomorrow. And that's how the story continues to play out, day after day. Every day it looks like the widow only has enough left for one more day. But every day she has enough faith to reach back into that jar of flour, to pour from that bottle of oil. And every day God provides enough bread to keep her and her son and Elijah going. The same kind of thing happened to Jim Braddock too. Now remember what I told you earlier. At the beginning of his career, Jim was a great boxer. 
He won 44 out of his first 48 fights. But then his career took a nosedive. He won 11-20-2 in his next 33 fights. So Jim had every reason to give up. But he had a manager named Joe Gold who made sure that Jim always had just a little bit of faith left in himself. And Gold knew that if Jim kept that little bit of faith that he had, that eventually he'd catch a break and he'd be able to turn things around. And that's what happened for Jim Braddock in 1935 when he fought Max Baer for the World Heavyweight Championship. When they fought, Max Baer had a record of 40 wins and 7 losses. And he had won 30 of those fights by knockout or by a TKO. So the deck was stacked against Jim Braddock. But somehow, Jim won by a unanimous decision and became world heavyweight champion. And he changed his family's life because of it. All it took for the widow and her son to make it through was a little faith. All it took Jim Braddock to make it through was a little faith. And a little faith is what it's going to take for us to make it through these hard times too. But I know how hard it is to keep a little faith. Over the last five months, every time that it's looked like we've started to make progress to slow down the coronavirus, something has happened that's knocked us back to square one. So it's hard to keep a little faith. But when I'm struggling, I remember one of my favorite lines from a song that Mercy Me sings. The song's called, Even If. And the second verse of that song starts with this line. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing, a little faith is all I have right now. God can do a lot with just a little faith. God could take a little faith and use it to keep a widow and her son fed. God can take a little faith and use it to move a mountain. And God can take whatever faith you have right now and use it to help you through whatever you're facing. So have a little faith. See what God can do, because a little faith will help you make it through. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the stories that we've heard today. The reminder that we had from the beginning of this sermon, as we started talking about the Roaring Twenties and the Great Depression, God, that even though we are facing difficult times in our world right now, that we're not the first people to face hard times. We're not the first ones who have seen our fortunes change almost overnight. God, we also saw the stories of Jim Braddock and the widow of Zarephath and Elijah. And we saw how Jim and the widow had just a little bit of faith. And that little faith was enough, God. The widow's little bit of faith was enough for her to take from the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil she had left to make Elijah some bread. And she didn't think she had enough left to feed her son and herself one more time. But God, you took that little bit of faith that she had and you made sure that it was enough. It was enough to get her and her son through. So God, allow us to trust you the same way. To trust that whatever faith we can bring to you, God, even if it's just a little bit right now, that you can take that little bit of faith and help us make it through everything that we're facing today. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has shown you that all you need is a little bit of faith to make it through even the most difficult of times. And right now, a little bit of faith may be all that you have. But cling to that faith, trust in God, know that God will help us make it through. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue to explore some more stories from the life of Elijah. And next week, we're going to be exploring what may very well be the most famous story about Elijah, the showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. So we're going to see what we can learn about how we can endure these difficult times in our lives through that story. As always, that episode will drop next Sunday afternoon. If you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And like always, I just want to invite you guys to come and join us for worship at any time at Melbourne Heights Online. We worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website. That's mhbclouisville.com slash live. Well, I hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.